This is The Audio Podcast Show 120 TRS Big Bang. Whoa. Whoa, indeed. I hope I didn't miss the beginning of that. I pressed record today because Scott is not here, but Adam Yanch is, and it is um, Wednesday the 25th of June 2014. Hello, everybody. Yes, uh, Sam Freeman and Adam Yanch taking up station for the audio podcast today. Scott is on a train, maybe? Um, Wherever he is, he has no internet, so um, he is not here this week. Uh, We've got our usual... uh, collection of news, other, bit of plunder, uh, and remember you can um, contact The Audio Podcast if you want, uh, at The Audio Podcast on Twitter, show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk uh, via email, and there are various ways to digest The Audio Podcast should you want to do that. Um, we can mention those later on, I think. But we can maybe get straight to the news. Get straight to the news. So the news is in the show notes, theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash one two zero. And yes, and there we'll find the news. Um, and first up, we have two updates to EQ, EQ plugins that are actually quite similar, it turns out. Um, yeah. Well, so first up is one that Scott added, which is new, new, new gen and they're S-E-Q-S, Nugen, N-U-G-E-N. I think you're supposed to say sex there, aren't you? Nugen. I do. I didn't see that. There you go. <laughs> or seek. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, if you can try and make it seem like you're saying something kind of, ooh, a bit sexy, then, uh, you know, people will obviously buy your product. Um it's a 7.1 uh, compatible EQ with a stereo mid-side mode and uh, and some spectrum analysis built in. Is is this a, a new announcement? Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, this is a new announcement. Um, although, yes, it is. I first thought it was an update, but this, this is a new patch. Um, yep, it runs on AIX, VST, VST3, and AU, and Audio Suite, um, 64 bits, all the things. Um, professional thing, and yep. So it's got a spectrum analyzer built in using spline curves to set the EQ curves, and the the big the yeah one of its selling points is that it has a um, an invert facility, so that you can I presume this is a side chaining type thing, but you take where you can take the an analysis of one audio signal, for example, lead vocal, and then apply an inverted curve to Say the backing vocal, the backing track, in order to kind of dynamically cut a hole for one in the other. Did oh yes, sense? yes, that does make sense. Um, I remember, oh, what is it? I think there was something like that in Logic, uh, where you can set a, th- a thing up and then you invert it and it it removes sections. So I wonder if that functionality is similar to that in Logic. Um, interestingly. Um, the second EQ that we are talking about is actually called Spline EQ, so I must uh, I must assume that it works in a similar way, uh, referencing what you said. Yeah, um, I came across this a um, few hours before I got the email about it. Actually, I got an email from Photosounder, who have made this plugin, and um, this is an update to their Spline EQ plugin, which is um, another thing, another. Yeah, on the box it's kind of got a similar description, but with less features. But um, so it's got a spectrum analyzer built in, so that you can see the energy in the different frequency bands. 
and then use um, busier curves to define the EQ curve. Oh, so Very it's nice. kind of like it's kind of like you actually draw in the EQ curve you want rather than setting dials. Yes. So the there are dials that um, that give the values of the curves, but you you can interact with the curve itself directly using click and drag on the on the handles oh. on the interface. It's, it's yep. There's a free version of this available through the PhotoSender website. Um, I've given that a go, and it's yeah, it's really good. It's li I mean, the, although it's only got four bands, and on the free version, that still gives you very flexible EQ, and it's it sounds it sounds really nice actually. And but then it's only normally twenty nine dollars, so it's hardly a it's hardly a big thing to have to buy, but actually, until the 5th of July, it's $19. So, yeah. so now's the time to go and try it and buy it if you like it. Absolutely, yep. I'm, I'm a big fan of the photosounder stuff, so, yeah. Let's move on, though, to some different types of plugin. Well, these aren't really plugins. This is an app. Um, the AD480 Reverb is an iOS app, which is a standalone reverb unit. But I suppose it's also uh, audio bussable or interapp audioable. Absolutely, yep. So you can use it like a plugin with your iOS music making setup. Yep, it's a kind of it's a slightly different paradigm. Although, like the whole iOS environment is, you know, you plug all of your apps or all individually plugins. If you're going to say it lists a plugin, then yeah, it's. It, or, or are we plugging into Audiobus? I don't know, but it uses the Interrupt Audio as well. And in any case, there are three versions of this reverb available. There's a free version that has just presets, a basic version that has some controls, and then a pro version that has loads of controls, including um, MIDI-assigned control of all the parameters. Ooh, and also, I'm reading here... It says, with the Pro, the input and output routing matrix enables you to route your audio signal individually to and from up to 24 inputs and 24 outputs of an external USB or MFI audio interface. Ooh. Absolutely. So they're really going for the kind of Pro features on, on this reverb unit. Nice. Very nice. But we st basically stay on iOS for the next... Uh, item, which is the Alessis DM Dock. So I imagine that must be a plug your iOS device into uh, audio type machine. Yes, this is a physical unit which has a whole load of TRS sockets on the back. You slide your iPad into it. It'll connect either on the 30-pin or the lightning connection. And then you, you can run either... Well, it, the dock itself is class compliant, so it basically becomes a MIDI interface and an audio interface for the iPad. But using the jack inputs, you can connect drum pads. So um, any standard drum kit pads, um, obviously LS is sell their own, but I think that any that have, I think the technical term is dual zone. Okay. So I think that's so you can, it knows if you're hitting the center or the rim. Um, Yes, yeah, so the, the DM dock, which is new, has 12 inputs for lows, plus one for a variable input for the hi-hat pedal, and another assignable foot switch. And there's a free app that you can run with this um, called DM Touch, which has a bunch of Sonics sa drum samples in there, but you can use it with any core MIDI 
think. Cool. Yeah, I've got the picture up on the website, which you can get to from the audio podcast notes for this week, that's show 120. And yeah, I mean, the back of it's basically, it kind of looks like a dream, but unfortunately, all of the, the TRSs are for pads, not for inputs and outputs, which is a shame. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a pretty decent, hefty bit of kit, this one. Well, um, yeah, it does. I, can't say, I don't have much more to say that I've never really worked with MIDI drums in that way, but you know. No, I haven't really either. But there'll be a, a there'll be a class of people who'll be like, yes, that is amazing. Right, okay. what's next, Sam? What is next? What is next? Next is um, another story that Scott has added to the news, and it's one that I don't know much about. I've read some of the link here, but the story goes that the Music Producers Guild has issued a statement expressing concern at the terms currently being negotiated, or not negotiated, by YouTube with regards to music videos on YouTube. Oh, yeah. So is this connected to the indie stuff? There's been a, a news story in the last week about how YouTube are um, imposing certain restrictions on indie record labels putting material up on YouTube because the YouTube have got deals with the big uh, labels, but the small labels might be disadvantaged by this new deal or something. Is this linked to that? Yes, that is linked to that. So it's very, in a way, it's kind of sketchy on the details because um, all of these negotiations about licensing are all done under non-disclosure agreements. So it's specific details are not forthcoming. However, the general gist of it seems to be that independent record labels have essentially rejected the terms that have been offered by YouTube and YouTube is refusing to negotiate. Presumably because they're just not multi-million dollar entities like what the big labels are and for Google to spend time making them happy just probably is not financially um, beneficial to them. Uh, yep. I I can see that people might be upset and concerned that YouTube that YouTube might not be hosting music videos anymore, but I'm really my, my biggest concern about YouTube music videos is that people use YouTube to watch music videos in order to listen to music rather than and like as they as a first choice. I'm YouTube video compression, the audio compression involved means that music the sound the sound is terrible. And yet, so why is this? That's that's my concern. My concern is that people ought to be listening to higher quality audio in the first place. Well, it, it might be because it's as simple as you, you've got a video, and it might not even be a video. It might just be a still with, with a piece of music on it, and you can just put it straight up. And you, the YouTube uh, back uh, infrastructure can handle multi, you know, a lot of listens and all this kind of stuff. You have to actually work to get your stuff up on Spotify. You have to. There are probably limitations on putting stuff up on SoundCloud, or it's not as discoverable on SoundCloud. Which yeah, I'm not sure if that's so. If that's so true, but I, I see YouTube's an interesting one because when I'm looking around for, uh, like, I like to be able to listen to a whole album, mm-hmm. and actually, a lot of times I've gone, I've found on YouTube the whole album of. 
of a band who I've been listening to a track of and I want to see if I like the album and then you know I'll go off and if I like it I'll go off and buy the album but you can actually get full streams on YouTube which I find kind of surprising because I wouldn't expect to find them there but maybe that's because there's nowhere else for them it's not like there's a time limit it's not like you only get 120 minutes of YouTube upload mm. like you know that's the limitation on SoundCloud so I think it may be, I don't know, YouTube, the thing is YouTube is used a lot by people though, isn't it? It is. People I understand go... the reason that it's used in the way it is. I just, yeah. I think that if it's, and so, you know, your description of having to listen to an album, to see whether or not, you know, as a try before you buy kind of thing, and that at some point you will, if you enjoy it in its low quality form, you will listen to it in its full quality. I haven't noticed the quality on YouTube being that bad though. I mean, okay. you know, is it any worse than than SoundCloud? SoundCloud can really muller high frequencies like cymbals and stuff, depending on because you don't get any say on the quality of the thing that you put up on SoundCloud. So you're at the mercy of its lossless, its loss. Sorry, lossy algorithm. Indeed, and I think I mean, perhaps a lot of it has to do with the who's uploaded it as well. Perhaps official uploads of music might be a higher quality to start with than if somebody's put aggressive lossy compression even before uploading it. So That's true. That's yeah. true. Okay. So uh oh pardon me. Um so um have we got a sample library next? We have. Guess who guess who added this one as well? Oh, Gun oh tails recorded sample. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So more guns, I guess. More guns, sample library recorded snapshots of guns. It sounds to me like a really good reason to fire off a bunch of guns. That's probably why it's... I, it's that and probably Scott finds them funny, so he puts these particular ones in <laughs> more than others, maybe. Like, why haven't we got horses? Because then we could, have, we could make, like, a, a, a YouTube Western or something. Using gun samples and horse samples. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. It must be out there. Let's check. So, but this particular one is from the recordist, and yeah, links in the show notes, the audio podcast.co.uk slash show slash one two zero. One two zero. And that brings us to the end of this week's news. Oh, does it? Oh, maybe I haven't up updated because there's oh, I've got one? an ex I've got an extra one on here. All right. Well, then maybe I'm wrong. Which is an applied acoustic systems. Oh crikey! Yes, yes. This ah, the reason I missed this is that it was kind of going to be a review, but we will. So this is a new release of which there will be a review on the audio podcast, and um, possibly next show. Um, yes. So this is applied acoustic systems. I've released String Studio VS2. Whoa, and it looks like it's a, a pretty standard. You've got your your MacOS uh, X 10.6, Windows XP Vista 8 and 7, um, AAX, AU, and BSD compatible. So you know it covers all the bases. It does. It runs. It runs as a standalone application or as a plugin to a host. And yeah, yep. Yeah, it's a it's a synthesizer, but it's based mostly on physical modeling. So. Uh -huh. You've got parameters. No, you don't. Yes, one. I've been. I've had a little play with this already, um, but I haven't really 
dug deep enough into it to kind of give it a full review, but as a, a surface level introduction to what it does, it has parameters for controlling things like the what the exciter is, whether it's been bowed or plucked um, or malleted, and things like position or of where that would happen and the friction of the string and the body size, that kind of thing, in, which is perhaps, which is, I suppose, yeah, again, like we were saying about interactive sound last week, I'm perhaps, I, I perhaps I, um, I kind of take this for granted as a standard way of synthesizing, but actually when you think about it, there's not that many VSTs and instruments out there that use this compared no. to kind of oscillator filter model. And this thing has LFOs and it has filters as well, but the primary way of doing stuff, of the primary sound making mechanism is physical modeling, which is unusual within the market, I think. Well, yeah, I think it, it's probably because it's quite tough to do. And I remember like late 90s, you know, uh, physical modeling was getting big because it was like this new way of of synthesis, a new mode of synthesis, which is always exciting. Virtual analog kind of came in a bit more, which is a kind of modeling. Um, and then you had like the Korg Z1 and Logic's got a physical modeling synth, which it might be the structure, which is a, it kind of covers a similar base. You know, it, it, you can set up how strings interact basically. But this looks a bit easier, a little bit easier on the brain than the Logic version. But I think maybe that's it, is that, you know, how far can you go with it and how complicated is it to program this kind of thing? Because it must be quite hard to do a virtual, um, uh, sorry, a physical model of, a, of a, a real acoustic system. And then, and also to make it general purpose enough where you can, you know, change it to get a, a wide range of different sounds, which this thing does achieve and um, it has I mean it also has effects and things built in as well to help with the sound design um, yep well, we'll have a full review of this next show and in the meantime um, it has a introductory discount price of just $99 rather than $199 mm, that's a that's a tasty discount it is a tasty discount cool so I think we now are at the end of the news and this week we have other to conclude our little mini series of our podcasting setups. We have had a lunch this week. And it, yes, it's uh, it is my go this week because I did the review of eye rings last week. We thought we'd do Sam, and then I'll do this week. And yeah, um, if you head to the notes, theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash one twenty, and head scroll down to the other section, you'll see a handy little picture that I've taken of my setup. I think mine is probably the simplest of the podcast setups. Now, with yours, Sam, is yours kind of set up per permanently or semi permanently? Um, semi permanently, I suppose. The, the microphone sits on its stands all the time, um, and usually the audio interface is used is, is in place as well and my laptop just comes and goes although in the past week I have moved everything apart from the microphone stand into another setup so, so usually the is, you yes, turn up and, and set your laptop down and plug it all in and you're basically ready whereas for me um, it's a bit more transient so um, if you look at the picture I basically set up on my dining room table um, and I sit with the window 
across from me so I get some good light so you can see my visage on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and But the actual setup is actually very simple. I put my laptop on, a, on this IKEA stand um, to raise it up, get a better angle or to, so you can see me better but without looking at my nose, which is, you know, it's it's a small thing, but the, I, I like to think our YouTube people aren't going to be frightened by having to look up my nose. Um, and then under there, I, I I switched kind of, I was using this setup for a while, and I switched, and I have switched back, and I'm using a Novation Neo 2.4 interface, which is a handy little desktop interface uh, with a microphone in and headphone out. And the, the idea is this is a DJ's, Setup so you can actually you'd actually connect it's got four outputs so you'd connect the four outputs into a DJ mixer and you know you can do live stuff with the DJ mixer I don't use it like that but it's got handy controls on the top for uh, setting everything and it also has inbuilt in it uh, a um, uh, what do you call it a, a loop for hearing. Uh, not a feedback loop, monitoring loop. So I can hear me, I can hear what I'm saying in my microphone, and it then mixes in with what comes back from YouTube. So that's very simple. Um, at the moment, I'm using my Fair Dynamic DT250 headphones, which I've had for ages. Uh, very reliable. Had I have had to replace a wire in in there, uh, but I've done that. And um, I don't have. Uh, I, I have a small a mic, a lapel mic, this one here, which is an AKG uh, C417, and that's a wired one, and it just plugs straight in to my interface. It's very subtle. It was invisible on your video feed until you moved it like that. So, <laughs> so you'll usually see me wearing either a hoodie or a shirt so that I can clip it on um, without it being too obvious. Uh, but, I mean, that's basically my setup. Um, it, it's... Fairly simple. Probably the only problem with this setup is that the uh, the audio, for some reason, the audio coming back from the YouTube Hangout only comes into my left ear. So who knows? I don't know. Yeah, that is, that's yeah. Google Hangouts seem to have some issues with some audio interfaces sometimes, which is one of the reasons that Scott and I use the um, computers built in for monitoring whilst using a USB for input for quality. Well, that's what, before I switch back, so the thing with this Neo is that for a while it didn't have the driver support for the computer I was using, and I thought, oh, no, it's going to be obsolete. And then a few months ago I looked up, and it was like, oh, look, it's got 10.8 and 10.9 drivers on it. So um, they actually have kept uh, releasing drivers for this thing. So I went back to using it. It's a bit handier with the with the monitoring. But I was using a Zoom recorder as an input and then plugging my headphones into the built-in output. And interestingly, you'll note that, you know, a few shows ago I would have been wearing my Audio-Technica headphones with the big kind of curve above my head. Okay. And the reason I wore those was because I was using the other interface and I didn't have a monitoring loop. So I couldn't hear myself in my headphones. So I had... These are quite, you know, tight-fitting... The other ones are open-backed, and I could actually hear what I was saying better uh, through the acoustic of the room. So, you know, little details. Detail. It's all about the headphones on the audio podcast. It's, it's, uh, for me, it is. 
<laughs> so yeah, that brings a, con a conclusion to our little mini series of of our podcasting setups. And uh, I mean, I don't know how others do it. I think you know Scott's pretty hardcore about it because you know he's he's kind of set up to be able to podcast almost at any second when he's at home. Um, True, but, but not yeah, very portable. That's the only thing with Scott's setup. It's well, yeah. Industrial Mine's strength on the redundancy, but <laughs> but housebound. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't like. I saw Scott on Monday, and he wasn't carting around the four U rack with all of his podcasting kit in it. Uh, so, uh, you know, horses for courses. But you know, you'll see from our three setups that there are many different ways of doing this, and there are other ways beyond our three setups as well. Yeah. Cool. So that brings us to the final section of the audio podcast, which is the plunder. Um, and um, I put one in here, um, basically because it's the plunder. I thought, hey, why not just write a little bit about plunder phonics? So if you don't know what plunder phonics is about, it's a it's a term, and and then a kind of following little musical kind of well, it's not a topic. It's like its own little area that was kind of uh, conceived by an artist called John Oswald, who was very interested in um, sampling, but sampling like stuff that, you know, obvious stuff that people would recognize. And so kind of built up this whole idea of pl uh, plunder phonics and how it relates to copyright, and problems with copyright and piracy and da-da-da. And he ended up creating many... Uh, compositional works based around other people's songs and the idea being that whilst you can obviously recognize the original material so like one of his key ones is a Dolly Parton track you can tell it's a Dolly Parton track but the actual composition itself is completely original it does stuff with the uh, with the original material that turns it into a new an, an obviously original composition, but based upon this sampled material. So, yeah, it's. A, I thought I'd kind of get in with that. Do, do you know much about John Oswald, Sam? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, it's often occurred to me that although we have this plunder every week, which is us taking bits of the internet, you know, for me it's always been kind of a reference to plunder phonics as a term, although it could be interpreted other ways. So it's mm -hmm. good that we've got this on here. Um, I think that one of the famous examples was that, you mentioned the Dolly Parton one example, but another one was that Michael Jackson, one of Michael Jackson's records was plunderphonicized by John Oswald, if that's the term. Um, <laughs> and and Michael Jackson, or probably more likely his record company, took objection to this and actually demanded that all copies of the um, tape that had been created were destroyed. Now, so, in interestingly, I actually think it wasn't the music that was the problem. It was actually the image of, so basically accompanying a lot of his tracks, he did a kind of uh, bricolage image of one of the, of the, the person who's the original artist and then put head or that put their body or something really obvious about them on another picture. And so he cut um, Michael Jackson's head and jack it out and put it on the body of like a nude model and that was part of the problem but yeah a lot of his practice of the plunderphonic practice is really about 
stepping over the line of what is kind of considered illegal from a law from a legal perspective but what you could actually consider from an artistic perspective as being okay and you'd say well okay I kind of see that you know they, they've taken this original stuff but it's not like they've, he's ripped off their song he's done something else with it I would recommend if you're interested in in this idea of plunderphonics uh, to look up the Plunderphonics 6996 book which includes two CDs with some of the original Plunderphonic works that Oswald uh, put together. Um, I got this book, it's, it's very good and the actual Plunderphonic tunes are actually really fun and I enjoy listening to them on their own as well. If you head to the notes I've got a link, I put a link into that book so you can uh, go out and decide if you want to yeah, get that. Now something that I can't point directly to now, it would take me a little while to find the link, but there is um, precedence for this plunderphonic style that predates John Oswald, um, back to the 1950s at least. Um, it was actually a student that made me aware of this in a presentation about sampling, um, where a an original composition was created that used some some new material, but then linked link with lots of cutouts of pop music from the time, so you've got Elvis Presley and things in there. Um, sometimes just a single phrase, and then those phrases are all strung together to create a kind of narrative, um, but very obviously using pop music sections yeah. all mashed together. So it's like a mashup kind of thing, but to me it really seemed like a precursor to Plunderphonics, or in fact maybe it is Plunderphonics, but before the name was invented. I don't know, does it, you know, can... I suppose it would be ironic to ask if there's a proper way of using the word Plunderphonics, but... But yeah, I will well, endeavour to find a link to that. Yeah. I'd say it's almost like, because I consider John Cage, you know, considered a composer, makes music, made music. Um, but, you know, that I see him more as a sound artist. But he's not a sound artist because when he did his composing, sound art as a term didn't exist. So he, he couldn't be put under that banner as it were but you know you look at his stuff and it's actually there's a lot about uh, meta about it and that makes it kind of sound art but he, it's also music because it's it's classified as music partially because it, there was no category for anything else at the time and also because the way he he put them together was quite musical in that he used musical scores and these kinds of things so I don't know if that had anything to do with with that, to be honest. I thought I'd just say it. <laughs> okay. Final piece of plunder for the show this week is um, kind of related to something I said a bit ago. This is Tone Print plugins by TC Electronics. So these are guitar effects plugins that have a, um, a digital connection, so you can use software to edit one of the patches. So... Yeah, have you come across these, or shall I? Ex I'll, I'll explain them in detail anyway. But before we get any yeah, yeah. go yeah. for it. Okay, so the one that I came across was a um, a delay a delay pedal. It had a number. It was quite simple, as a you know your foot pedal switch, switch it on and off. You've got delay time and regen and um, wet dry mix settings, and then the fourth knob is for um, selecting the model. So choosing whether or not you're modeling a tape delay or um, various other things. One of the positions on the model 
is the tone print setting and there with the tone print you can connect to a computer and edit parameters loads of parameters of the delay and also change what the knobs will affect and it's really a great way of working and this the quality of the sound that it's a really nice sounding pedal on its own anyway and um, it's obviously digital on the inside but yeah the way I was using it with, was with the laptop software, so you connect via USB to the computer, the software immediately recognizes the pedal, and then you can tweak the settings on screen and hear the, re hear the response of the pedal straight away with the guitar going through. It sounds awesome. Final thing that got me kind of the most excited is um, I've not tried this, but there's an Android slash iOS app which has a similar functionality, but in in that you can edit the sounds, but instead of um, connecting via USB, you can put your iPhone or Android phone to your guitar pickup, and then it will send, it will transmit through the pickup, oh. and the and the pedal will recognize the the digital signal to reprogram the um, effects settings. Ooh, is that like NF? Well, it can't be NFC because the iPhone doesn't have NFC. So I, I wonder how it, that works. It might just be audio. It might just send out a, a digital squeal. Maybe I haven't tried it, so I can't fully comment on this. But it must. I think, yeah, I expect it's just working in a similar way to. Um, if you think about the tapes, like the cassette, a cassette tape holding a, a program to for a Commodore 64, or um, more recently the. Korg Monotribe had a firmware update which was downloadable as a WAV file which you plugged into the thing and played it through and the device is already pre-programmed to recognize the zeros and ones as it were to reconfigure it. Oh well I mean that, I, th I suppose like I'm, I'm at the, the website now the tone print website and yeah there's this picture of a guy putting the back of the like this the microphone end, actually, this end of the phone, up against the pickup, and it's you know there's a little, a little graphic showing some kind of transmission. Oh, that's that's really really smart, isn't it? Yeah, and I so bet it's actually really obvious. It's like a really simple thing. It is. I mean, the, at first, my excitement wore down a little bit when I thought that if you're having to transmit in this way, then you wouldn't be able to do what. What I was doing at the weekend, which was I was at the computer tweaking the settings while the guitarist was playing through those settings as I changed them. Um, you wouldn't be able to do that if you're holding a phone up to your pickup. But yeah, if, I think that as a wireless way of communicating with stuff, it's a great idea. And mm. just the system in general is good. And I, I rate the pick, I rate the pedal even without its programmability. Sweet. So there's a, a an audio podcast thumbs up to TC Electronics Tone Print Guitar Pedal System, and there's a lot of informations at the uh, Tone Print Guitar website. So you can get through that through our notes, which is the audio podcast at uk forward slash show forward slash one two zero. And with that, we come to the end of the show. Oh no! Awesome. So, yep, don't forget you can subscribe through um, iTunes, YouTube, GPodder, or Stitcher. And, yeah, we will not be back next week. 
It is the oh. summer period. We're going to have a week off, and we will be back in two weeks' time. Yeah. What are you going to do with your week off, Sam? Um, I'm probably going to go camping. Ah, excellent. Outdoors, non-computer action for a bit. And uh, I don't know what I'll do. I have no idea. Um, what I'm not doing is going to Glastonbury. So, oh, yes, I'm not camping at Glastonbury. No. But that's fine. I mean, beach? Who knows? Let's see. See how the weather goes. All right, and uh, hopefully in two weeks' time we'll also have the return of Scott Hewitt. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening. I have been Adam Yanch. And I'm Samuel Freeman. Goodbye. Goodbye.